Uh, we're going to continue now as we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 13 this morning. Um, as we prepare to hear God's word, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have had together in worship and prayer. And now as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would um, open us up to receive all that you would have for us this morning as we come to learn and to grow and to be nourished by um, your word that speaks to our lives. Lord, I just pray that we would come uh, ready and expectant and hopeful for what you might do in us this morning. Precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to do the first 11 verses this morning. This one is probably going to be the most familiar to you of all of the readings from 1 Corinthians. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever noticed that people are the best and people are the worst? Uh, people made ice cream, which is really so wonderful, right? And yet people can say things um, to children that could leave a mark on them for the rest of their life, that they would have to go and unpack and, and learn a new way. We can think of countless examples 
of how people are the best and how people are the worst. But I want to show you two pictures this morning. One picture of people at their worst and then at the end, one at their best. So this picture, uh, just look for a moment and meditate on this picture. I'm sure most of you can identify this as the Tower of Babel, which is what we find in the book of Genesis, a story in Genesis chapter 11, where human beings have come to understand their own capability and intelligence, and they have begun to build a tower to the sky. The book of Genesis writes that uh, this is what they said as they were building this tower. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, we hear a story like this, and we may at first think, how foolish to build a tower to the heavens. But I want us to wrestle here with uh, this question. How have we wasted time trying to make a name for ourselves? How this week, how over the years have we wasted our time trying to build a name for ourselves? You know, we could think of the most powerful, rich person on earth. I think it's some oil baron in Saudi Arabia, right? And he may have more people working for him, more houses on hills than anybody else, more toys than anybody else. But at the end of the day, don't you think God looks down and says, you're making money off of something that I made, that I created. There's no contest here. And so, in light of this extreme example, I wanted to go all the way down to the smallest example for each and every one of us. As we think about our name and how we really understand what it means in light of who God is. Author Jonathan Haidt wrote an article that got passed around a lot in the Atlantic a few months ago, and the title of it uh, is probably part of the reason why. It says this, why the past 10 years of American life have been utterly stupid, was the title of the article. And in the article, he makes the case, he writes this, the story of Babel is the best metaphor I have found for what has happened to America in the 2010s and for the fractured country we now inhabit. Something went terribly wrong very suddenly. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. 
We are cut off from one another and from the past. And so this author, Jonathan Hyde, is saying that in some ways, even though we've just thought about a really old story that we're actually living the story again in our current context here in America. This way by which if we think of our own name and try and build our own name, that we may end up not being able to speak to one another, to communicate with one another, to share a common story, the types of common stories that have nourished us and given us community and allowed for us to experience all that God would have for us as we understand we're made to be in community and how we're made to be in community with one another. Now, height points to social media, believe it or not, for a lot of what ails us. And he writes, uh, social scientists have have identified at least three major forces that collectively bind together successful democracies, social capital, extensive social networks with high-level trust, strong institutions, and shared stories. And he says, social media has weakened all three of these essential ingredients for a healthy society. So it bears repeating again this morning that it comes as a bit of a shock to us on first blush that we have the ability to connect to anybody at any moment across the globe and yet somehow this has left us feeling more disconnected and not more connected. You see, the more powerful we become, the more infatuated with ourselves we become. And the more infatuated with ourselves we become, the more we lose the ability to truly connect to one another. Once again, we can make this uh, small and say, even in our own households, if we're seeking to make our name great, we could end up saying the same words and yet it will be as if we're speaking a different language, whether it's generational or otherwise. That we will lose our ability to truly hear and understand and know and be in relationship with one another. Bringing it back to our text this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this church had a high-level art of being impressed with itself to the point where the spiritual gifts that were alive in this church were being used in a Tower of Babel trajectory. Like the people had these powerful spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit And yet, at the end of the day, they were using them to make their name great. And so we might think of uh, images on the internet like like a a perfect apartment as the sun is rising with the best pristine cup of coffee coming off and the Bible laid open 
and the picture of the selfie of the quiet time that's taken, of course, shared with all followers just to allow those followers to be inspired to do their own perfect quiet time. And somehow in the midst of uh, taking a picture of your quiet time, we've lost the essence of what it means to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus in a secret place. To just run away and be uh, intimate with our Lord and Savior and have really no need to have anybody else know or be in touch with what's happening in that secret place. You see, that's what Paul is really trying to speak to in this church. And so what he's doing here in this brilliant, brilliant chapter of the Bible is he is saying, imagine if you took spiritual gifts and you gave Barry Bonds level steroid use to those gifts. Imagine if they were the best gifts that you had ever seen anybody inhabit. Not just tongues, but speaking in angelic languages. Not just a prophetic word, but being able to fathom all wisdom and knowledge. Not just faith in a pinch, but the kind of faith that could move mountains. And if the do-gooders thought they were exempt, no, no, no. Not just running the best nonprofit, but giving up everything that you have for the poor. Even if you had all these supercharged, superhuman spiritual gifts, the kind that anyone in their right mind would be so impressed by and give you the biggest platform for, they are nothing if you do not know the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is the way of love. In the Greek, this word is agape. And when Paul uses the word love, it's anchored in the teachings and life of Jesus. So this word agape is not just an emotional word about feelings that happen to you. Not something that you... you, always have conjured up in you organically, but it's something that is actually an action word. Love has a way, it's demonstrable. It has a certain trajectory to it. It refers to uh, the way that you're living. The point being here that Christ-like agape love is something that you do. We had a beautiful model of this in in Sean's sharing today, didn't we? Because our emotions come and go. Some days we feel like it and some days we don't. But love says no matter what, we do. That we choose this way, that we covenant with this way. And as Jesus covenants with us, we too covenant with one another to say, I am choosing the way of love, 
I am choosing the action of love. I am going love's way, no matter if I feel like it or if I don't feel like it. And just so we can see how uh, this connects scripturally, let me just show you a few verses about how Jesus defines love for us. I think we'll have them on screens if you want to participate that way. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But God demonstrated his own love for us, Romans 5, 8. In this, we were still sinners and Christ died for us. We see in all of these verses that it's not just words that are going forth, but Christ's sacrifice on the cross that demonstrates his love for us. So we can not just say, I know Jesus loves me because he told me he loves me. No, we can say, I know Jesus loves me because of his action on my behalf because of the cross. Paul says to this church, look at the way of Jesus. Look how he loves. That's what I'm talking about. Let me clarify it for you even further and make it more practical. Two positive examples. Love is patient and kind. And if I'm trying to build my own name, I'm going to be in a hurry. If I'm trying to build my own name, I'm going to have a tendency to make things a little harder for the people around me so that I can get ahead. And then two, and then eight negative examples of what love is not. Love is not jealous. Now, if I'm trying to make my own name, my tendency is to look around and see what somebody else has and say, you know what, I just, I don't, I wish I had that. How do I get that? They have what I have, they have the same gifts that I have, but just a little bit better. Man, how do I get to be like them? If I'm trying to make my own name, my tendency then would be to go, to brag, right? to brag about my own thing, and, and, and to have the tendency to, to want to say, you know what, I'm the most necessary person. I'm the most important person. So, so my name matters. My name's the one that, that should count at the end of the day. So maybe this story gets a little bigger, gets a little greater. Maybe these numbers get a little bigger, get a little greater so you can see me. Or let's just get right down to it. It is not proud. Now, pride's something that I've been thinking a lot about. 
One of the ways uh, that we think of pride is just to just, just stand up there and think, man, look how great I am. But we just got through braggadocio. So what, what does Paul mean by pride? There may be other things to think through here like, hey, sometimes my pride is to think I'm the only one that could save you. Or that whatever problem that's happening, or even when I fail, that everything is going to go wrong. That when I make a mistake, oh no, you better watch out because the world's going to fall apart. Because it's on us. It's all on our shoulders. And as we throw things on our shoulders and we're proud and we think that, no, this is all about me and what I do, things get really heavy. But it's another way of still thinking it's about our name. And of course, then we can get into dishonor and grudges. And then, and then if we really pursue this path far enough, what happens is that our definitions of what's light and what's dark get mixed up and backwards. And by pursuing our own name long enough, all of a sudden things that are evil become tempting to us because they, they tempt us to want to get ahead because we might get something from it that we desire to build our own name. And so one of the invitations this morning I want to leave with you is this invitation to again reorient yourself to the name that is above every other name. That when you surrender to that name, love is possible. The love of Jesus Christ is possible in our personal life and in our community if we are willing to look in exactly the opposite direction than the Tower of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel, they start on the ground and they build to heaven. But let's see one more picture. This is from Acts chapter 2. You see, when Jesus rose and then uh, he ascended into heaven, his followers weren't quite sure what to do. But they knew that they should gather together and wait. That is the opposite of the Tower of Babel where a bunch of people said, let's make our name great and start building our strategy, which was a bad plan. Instead, it was a group of people that said, no, we've seen the resurrected Christ and we know the power of God is so powerful and wonderful. And we don't see it yet, but we're willing to wait together until it comes. And then you can see their gaze as they look up as the power of God descended on them. And truly, this story is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Because we see here that what was lost in the Tower of Babel as people built their own name and couldn't communicate with one another anymore. Now, 
people from different nations and different languages because of the power of God are speaking in different tongues and yet they understand each other. This is the picture of when people are the best. And the church that flowed from there, let me leave you with this, is is depicted in Acts chapter four and it is a picture of love where nobody cares about their own name says this now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. This is the picture of the church that is possible when we learn the way of love together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask your, your full measure of love to come and be in this place, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to lay down our name Even the the anxieties and problems that we're facing, Lord, we lay them down at your feet. We trust, Lord, that you know that you have a plan, that you are taking care of us. And so we can go your way, trusting that your plan is better than our plan. And may we know that it is only love that we carry with us on into eternity, Lord. And so may we get as much of that now as we can. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.